Last week, we wrapped up a series, there's a psalm for that, and before we kick off a new series in a couple weeks, we're going to take a couple weeks um, for just some standalone sermons. And today where I want us to go is actually somewhere I went last week. So last Sunday, I was asked by, um, by Eli Smith, who some of you may remember back in the fall, he came and preached at Antioch. He's a pastor of House of Miracles Church in East Lake, And he asked me to come preach at his church this last Sunday and uh, told me that the, the topic he wanted me to preach on was unity. And the, the message that God led me to for then um, was something that, A, was, was extremely convicting for me personally, and B, was something I, I, I just kept thinking, this is something that like I really want Antioch to hear. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to go to the same passage that I went to this last week with another local church, but this time I want to I want to bring it to you, to our church family, because unity is is so important and yet it is so difficult. Because as soon as you start being real with one another, as, as soon as we're not just put, you know playing nice smiley face all the time, as soon as you know we 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 actually let our guard down and are real. It is very easy to get hurt. It's very easy to, when, when you're confronted with maybe a truth you don't want to hear about yourself, uh, even if it's said in love, to bury, you know, it starts, I mean, any rip in a fabric, right? It starts just like that, right? But the longer it stays unaddressed, it just gets wider and wider and wider and wider and wider until, you know, the piece of fabric is, it's two now. It's not one anymore. And unity is something that Jesus himself specifically prayed, right? It's not something that he assumed would happen in the church. He prayed while he was on this earth to his father that his people would be unified. So what, what is unity? Why is it important? Why is it so hard? And, you know, how can we be unified? And to be our guide for this, we're going to use Genesis chapter 4. And Genesis chapter 4, you know, it's one of the, it's in the earliest pages of the Bible. And it's about the two first brothers, Cain and Abel. And what we're going to do is, instead of looking at a passage that, uh, you know, talks, you know, about unity in a positive way, because sometimes the best way to learn about something is not to look at it when it's working, but to look at it when it's broken and to figure out, okay, why is it broken? And in learning how to fix something that's broken, you actually learn about it even more. And so that's what we're going to do, do with unity. So instead of looking at unity, we're actually going to look at disunity to learn about the importance of unity and what true unity looks like. So as we look at Genesis 4, verses 1 through 16, we'll do this in three sections. Um, and so the first section is this. Disunity with people is a problem with people. Disunity with people is a problem with people. The second, disunity with people is a problem with God. 
disunity with people is a problem with God. And then third and lastly, disunity with people is a problem solved by God. So disunity is a problem with people, it's a problem with God, and it's a problem that only God can solve. So first, disunity with people is a problem with people. Now, I want to be clear right up at the front that when I'm talking about unity and disunity, I am talking very specifically, I think the Bible is talking very specifically about the church. Talking about the people of Jesus, the people who follow Jesus around and, and mimic him and tie their life to him, who seek to be with Jesus, like Jesus, and help others do the same. This is not talking about unity with the world, right? I mean, that's, the Bible's clear that, you know, we are called to be in the world. We're not, you know, we're not supposed to be in our own little, like, ghettos out here doing our own thing. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it, right? So there, there's a level which we cannot have unity with um, those who claim the name of Jesus, or don't claim the name of Jesus. But those who do, we must be united with them. So I'm talking about the people in our church. I'm talking about the people that if you're in a house church right now, you're around. You know, not sitting next to, but sitting like in the, 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 the vicinity of. And the people that, you know, Lord willing, we will be able to, at some point in the, you know, near future, hopefully, be able to see those people. So I'm talking about the people in our own church and anyone else who claims the name of Jesus. That's who we need to be unified with. Now, when it comes to unity and what it means, I mean, it, at its most basic level, it means one. That you are one. You have one heart, one mind, one direction. You're aligned. You're intertwined. There's togetherness. And on the other hand, disunity would mean that there's multiple. It's the state of being more than one, being multiple, right? Multiple minds, multiple hearts, multiple directions, multiple um, different, you know, different things that would splinter you off. And, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Drumline, but, you know, that part of the movie where they talk about it's one drum, one sound. One drum, one sound. I mean, that, that's what unity is about. Because think about it. Like, I, was, I was in drumline in high school. Now, granted, I was at a very small high school, and there was three people on my drumline, not like 30 or 40. It was two snares and a bass drum. But nonetheless, that, you know, one sound, one drum, one sound is still true for three drums. Because even with three drums, if every person at the same time is doing their own thing, it doesn't work. But what's so powerful about a drumline of three, or especially of 30 or more, is when they're playing in unison, when they're playing in unity, it's powerful. Because one, they're all working together, playing different parts, and it makes this amazing sound that you couldn't get with just one, one drummer. But also, you look at it and you wonder, how are they doing that? Because how are they all doing this together? And doing this together, they're creating something bigger than themselves. That's what unity is about. Now, 
Again, if, if just one person in the drum line does their own thing, even that messes up the unity of the whole because then that's all you can hear is the one dude playing the cymbals just like this the whole time when he shouldn't be playing at all in that part of the song. You get distracted to just that. So unity, disunity. That's, that's kind of the, the, the essence of it. And in Genesis 4, we meet Cain and Abel. The first brothers born on the earth. And Genesis 4 tells us that Cain was a gardener and Abel was a keeper of sheep. And at an appointed time, they came before God and made offerings to him. Um, and what you, we can assume with an offering is that it's an offering to a sacrifice. Somebody's saying, I, I, I want to be made right with you, God. And so I'm making a sacrifice to show you that my sin has separated me from you and I want this to be made right. And so Cain, you know, he's a gardener. And so what does he do? He, he brings, we don't know what fruit or veggie it was, uh, cabbage, plums, apples, who knows what it was. But he brought an offering of the ground. Abel, who was a keeper of the sheep, of the sheep he instead brought the firstborn lamb, slaughtered. And God looks at these two offerings, and to Cain's surprise, he accepts Abel's, but rejects his. And this angers Cain, because Cain was the firstborn. And the firstborn in this time, back in the day, was a very important thing. You were the one who got the most inheritance from the family. You were the one who got the most favor. You were honored. And now here's his younger little bro getting more favor and honor from God, apparently. And it, it began to you know, deeply discourage him. And ultimately, uh, what we, we see happen now, you know, the question is why? Why did God accept Abel's but not Cain's. We'll look at that in the next section. But regardless, this, this led Cain to resent his younger brother, his own family, his own brother. And what does he end up doing? Uh, it says in um, verse 6, or sorry, verse 8, that it says that after God rejected his offering, it said he went and talked to his brother. And then the very next thing it says is, while they were in the field, Cain rose up and killed his brother. Cain's disdain of his brother for having the favor of God led him to kill him. And God comes to, uh, comes to Cain and says to him, you know, because Cain obviously apparently thought that God couldn't see this. Didn't know what was going on in his heart. Didn't see what happened in the field. And so God comes to him and says, where is your brother? And Cain lies to God in his face and says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? That word keeper, it means protector, guardian, servant, guard. The answer is yes, you're the older brother. I mean, isn't that what older brothers do? They keep their younger brothers. They 
serve them. They protect them. They're their guardians. And Cain was, he denied that responsibility to keep his brother, even when there was disagreement, even when there was frustration and hurt. Pursuing unity means that you somehow have the ability to override that and say, nevertheless, I am my brother's keeper. You know, that's what we have to say to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is, you know what, nevertheless, you hurt me, but I am your keeper. And so I'm not going to attack you. Now, a couple of things that I want to just point out as takeaways from this is that disunity is a refusal of your responsibility. Right? In, a, in a time where we are more individualistic than ever, we can think, you know what, at the end of the day, if I just don't like somebody, if I don't want to hear what they have to say on Facebook, on Instagram, whatever, I can just unfollow them, unfriend them. It doesn't matter. We can kind of curate this. And then we think we can translate that over into real life and say, you know, you hurt me, so just forget you. I don't need you in my life. I don't need this. But unity says, no, we do. You do. You need that brother, you need that sister, and you have a responsibility to pursue unity. Now, that doesn't mean you can always make it happen, but that means you have a responsibility to do everything in your power to say, I'm going to fight for us to be one. I'm not going to allow anything to rise up above the importance of unity. The second thing is this though, is that disunity always leads to dehumanizing the other person. The little seed of bitterness that very quickly grew into a fire in Cain's heart led him to literally take the humanity out of his brother. It led him to kill his brother. And that's always what happens when there's disunity. When we allow the seeds of, of bitterness and grudges and frustration and hurts and disappointment to fester in our hearts, what do they do? They always lead us to take the other person down with us. Gossip. We don't think much about gossip, right? We always like to, we have to hone in on sexual sins or some you know, things that are like, oh, these are really bad. And not that they aren't, but, but listen, you know, how many people have gotten disciplined and, you know, church disciplined for sexual sin, and yet the person who is persistently unkind, unrepentantly ungracious, and gossip and slander and bring down other people's reputation, and they don't ever get a word spoken to them, right? Those are the things that will actually tear a church down, and yet we let those things fly. I let those things fly. Those are the things that we have to watch out for. Those are just as dehumanizing. Bullying, outcasting, rejecting our own brothers and sisters. It shouldn't be this way. But disunity is a problem as old as, you know, the Garden of Eden. So that leads us to, to our next section. So the second section. Disunity with people is a problem with God. As we see here in the story of Cain and Abel, ultimately, Cain's main problem was not with his brother. The, the reason that he killed his brother, that he had so much 
hatred for him, that he, and so much disunity that he wanted him gone, erased, was not just the fact that there was something that he perceived to be better about his brother. It was a direct response to God and what God had to say and what, what Cain was seeing about the heart of God that he didn't like. So to go back to that question of, you know, this is kind of, it's odd. It's definitely odd that, you know, God accepts one brother's sacrifice and offering, but not the others. Well, to get a little clue about what's going on here, I want you to look at verses 6 and 7. This is after God has rejected Cain's offering, but accepted Abel's, but it's before Cain has killed Abel. And God says this to Cain when he sees it, he's angry and sad. He says this, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So what is God saying? Is he, is he saying if you do well, that he means like if you, if you keep the Ten Commandments, which at this point we're even around yet, I mean, what, what, is he, what is he talking about? Well, I think he's talking about this. I think it's clear when you, when you look at this and you say, okay, so why would God accept one offering but not the other? Well, what's different about them? Was it the person who offered it? No, God wasn't necessarily rejecting the individuals. He's rejecting one offering and accepting the other. Cain's offering was some fruits and veggies. Abel's offering was a sacrificed firstborn lamb. And what you would sacrifice, what you'd be willing to sacrifice, tells you how much you value the thing you're making a sacrifice for, right? If you think that having, you know, being a good athlete is a worthy goal, well, then you're, you're willing to sacrifice your, your time uh, to put into practice. You're willing to sacrifice your, your schedule to submit to your coach and your team. You're willing to sacrifice, you know, eating, a, you know, a gallon of ice cream every night. Um, and if you don't think that being a good athlete is, is a worthy goal, then like, you won't do those things, right? So it's just what you think is worthy and important determines what you're willing to sacrifice. And I think that is starting to get at the root of what's going on here between Cain and Abel. right? Because think about it. If a, if a, if a sacrifice, an offering is about making amends for sin, this is what, this is what Cain and Abel, Abel are saying. Abel is saying, God... I recognize my sin is so serious that it demands the loss of life to make up for it. We're talking about something that is deserving of death, my sin. And we're talking about you as holy, unique, separate, other. That there's no way that, that I could bridge this gap on my own. And so the, the, the closest I can get is just to say, look, God, I know how separate we are. I know how much distance my sin has caused. But then on the other hand, Cain, wasn't he? He's throwing a couple of cabbage leaves. Which says what? I don't think my sin is that bad. And I don't think you're that holy. And when God comes to him and says, he's, he's inviting him, he's not, you know, blotting out Cain forever. He's saying, look, look, 
you, you, you didn't approach me around. You, you are misunderstanding something about who you are and who I am. But I want to give you another chance. I want you to, to, I want you to show me that you know how bad your sin is and that you know how holy I am. And I want you to submit. I want you to let go of your pride. That's what this is about. That's, that's at the heart of disunity is pride. Pride that you're better than your brother or sister and pride that you know better than God. That he would tell you to be unified with someone who you don't like. And yet, what does Cain do? Instead of going out into the field to show that he's had a change of heart, that he's humbled himself, to go out into a field and kill an animal and make as a sacrifice, what do you do? He goes out into a field and kills his own brother. He kills his brother. This is what I want you to hear from this. Disunity. Right? It's it's any any human inner any human relationship, any horizontal relationship is is just an expression of our vertical relationship with God. We treat people the way that we think God treats us. So if you shame people, it's you think you it's because you think God is shaming you. If you're impatient with other people, it's because you think God is impatient with you. If you're gracious with other people, it's because you have experienced God be gracious with you. I don't like to hear that because then that tells me some really deep, important things that, you know, the way I treat other people is really indicative of my relationship with God. And so this is what we learn about disunity from this, is that disunity is ultimately a refusal to submit to the heart of God. Disunity happens because you refuse to submit to the heart of God. God's heart was saying to Cain, listen, you're a sinner, I'm holy. But humble yourself, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Admit this, and then we'll be good. But as long as you're proud and arrogant, the Bible says so many times, I resist that. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Cain didn't want that. He didn't want that kind of God. And so what did he do? In killing his brother, it's like he was killing that God. He said, I don't want that. That's not the kind of God I want. I know better. I make a better God for myself. I mean, that's, isn't that what Adam and Eve were doing in the garden? They were saying, uh, God's kind of dumb. It's kind of outdated already. I know better. I mean, that's what we do with our sin. We think that we know better. And walking into the kingdom of Jesus ultimately requires one thing. That you admit your absolute need of Him. All you really need is need. But until you know you need Jesus, God resists you. And as long as there's that dissonance in your heart, it will lead you to take it out on other people. Until you've exceeded, because what happened? Cain had not received the grace of God. He hadn't let it sink in. And so he refused to be gracious with his brother. He felt that God was harsh in requiring this. And so what was he? He was harsh with his brother. So unity ultimately happens not by just getting over issues with our brothers and sisters in Christ with each other 
and just, well, I'll just let it go, ultimately happens by submitting to the heart of God. God's heart says, I love my enemies. But the heart of disunity says, I don't want to love my enemies. I don't want to forgive them. The heart of God says, I love all nations. And the, the, the heart of disunity says, I don't like certain cultures. Right? Ultimately, that's, that's the seeds of racism. Is we're, we're not submitting to the heart of God that says, you know what? I don't like you any more than I like somebody from another country or culture because of anything about you. I like both of you equally because it has nothing to do with the color of your skin or your cultural expressions. Submitting to the heart of God, that is the only way that you'll be able to pursue and fight for and persevere for unity, for unity in our church. Unity in our church will only happen if we're willing to say, you know what, you may have hurt me, but the heart of God goes deeper. I have hurt God, and yet he's done something about that. So remember, horizontal problems, right? Horizontal problems don't ever get solved by horizontal solutions. Horizontal problems are ultimately vertical problems and only get solved by vertical solutions. So what we want to do now is just take some time to reflect on whatever God was speaking to you. So if you're alone, um, I invite you just to spend this time praying. Uh, or journal, and if you're with other people, feel free to use this time um, to discuss this question together, or if you would rather spend the time praying or journaling, that's okay too. But the question is just simply this, what was God speaking to you through his word? What was God saying to you? What are you hearing him speak to you about the importance of unity?